0: But how many of you still have gifts to go out and buy for family and friends and other things like that? All right, most of us. How many of you are all done w- with that? Okay, we hate you guys, okay? No, just joking, just joking. You guys, you, you, you're ahead of the game. You, you do it well. But I did come across an article, just in case you're looking at buying something for, for your man. All right, ladies, um, this is out of the book Because of Bethlehem. And um, it's written in a letter format, but it's just some advice on gift-giving. If you are still uh, wanting to buy, it says, Dear ladies, we know you mean well. We know you think you know best. But enough is enough. We have suffered in silence for too long. Having shared our pain with, other, with one another, we husbands hereby step out of the shadows and open our hearts. This year, as you shop for our Christmas gifts, please don't buy what we need. We know we need to smell better and look nicer. We know you like us in warm pajamas and new underwear. But we do not know, but we do not know what to say when we open these gifts. How can you fake enthusiasm over house slippers? How can you look happy holding a nose hair trimmer? We've lied long enough. For the sake of integrity, on Christmas morning, we offer this guidance. As you look for any potential gift, ask yourself these questions. Can he play with it? Does it swing, bounce, shuffle, cast, or roll? Can you find a trigger, a grip, a ripcord, or a stick shift on it? Does it consume oil or dog food? Does it have a big screen and a remote control? If it does, buy it doesn't matter if we already have one. This is no time to get practical. When considering an item of men's apparel, ask yourself, is it brown and green and rain resistant? You can't lose with any garment that is. Realizing that many women prefer to shop anywhere but the gun department, we offer these two questions. Does it make him look cute or does it make him look like a hunk? if clothing makes him look cute drop it immediately if it makes him look like a hunk buy two when all else fails ask can he eat it note the question is not would he eat it or do other human beings eat it or is it edible don't occupy yourself with such trivialities the question is can he eat it anytime the answer is affirmative Consider yourself on safe ground. And in closing, we, offer this, uh, we extend this offer. If you will buy us what we want, we will do the same for you. And without revealing any details, we will tell you this. A large vacuum cleaner company has offered us a group discount. <laughs> and you thought we were insensitive, didn't you? No need to thank us. Signed, your husband's. Of which I imagine some of you ladies have some other advice to give to us husbands, don't you, on buying gift giving. Well, gift giving is certainly fun during the Christmas season. And again, thank you so much for your work in buying the uh, Caring Christmas Tree gifts. Um, All because the greatest gift ever given to us was born in Bethlehem uh, a couple thousand years ago. And in response to that greatest gift ever given gift-giving has really followed ever since. And if you have your Bibles, if you would open them up to the book of Matthew, we uh, can follow part of Matthew's story as we see the incredible gifts that are given when the wise men find out that this little baby has been born and given to them. In fact, Matthew chapter 2 is where it begins. Verse 1, now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the house of Herod the king. And they told him, In Bethlehem in Judea, for it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will be shepherd to my people. And when Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared, and he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. And after listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they... um, And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. They fell down, and they, what's the word there? They what? They worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. You know, I'm not sure of some of your gift-giving traditions that maybe you have at Christmas time, or maybe that you remember when you were growing up, but let me just ask, uh, how many of you do at least one present on Christmas Eve? Okay, okay. How many of you uh, do all your presents on Christmas Eve? Do do them all? How many of you do uh, the majority on Christmas Day? Okay, most of you do the majority of them on Christmas Day. Part of that, I don't know if you remember this as a kid, but part of that was, was just an incredible anticipation of waking up on Christmas morning, seeing presents that maybe were underneath the Christmas tree, or, or, or knowing that those presents were coming. Uh, I used to hate that anticipation as a kid, but you know, it's kind of fun now to share that with others, and, and, and yet that time seemed like an eternity, didn't it? Do you remember that? And yet, let me me share this as I'm relating this to the Scripture. Because our church, if you have not been here over the last few months, we've gone through the Old Testament. And we looked at how God kind of intervened um, to the Israelites and to the prophets and sharing. And yet, there came a time when God went silent. And when His people were just waiting. When they were anticipating when the gift that God had promised in the Messiah was not coming, and the people waited, and they waited. In fact, let me show you a little kind of um, demonstration of this, all right? Let's try this. Okay, that was uncomfortable, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Because we're not usually silent here in the worship center. Do you realize that that might have felt like four minutes, but it was just 40 seconds? That was just 40 seconds. And you think about waiting and how long the Israelites had to wait. They, they, They heard from God, and then they didn't hear anymore. And that time of silence, like we just spent here, was not 40 seconds. It was not 40 minutes. It was not 40 hours or 40 days. It was not 40 months. It was not even 40 years. Do you know how long that time was? It was over 400 years that they were waiting. And some of you became very uncomfortable at 40 seconds, didn't you? It's hard to wait. It's not easy. And yet, God went kind of silent for that 400 years. But it wasn't only 400 years. There were 300 years before that, that the major prophet Isaiah stepped into the picture and said, okay, Israelites, a son is coming. Look at what he says in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. It says, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign, and behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. And two chapters later, in verse, uh, chapter 9, verse 6, in fact, would you read this one with me? Read it with me. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God, everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And so Messiah, or so Isaiah offers this Messiah and says, he's coming. But he never says when. And so the Israelites wait. And they wait. And they wait. And they wait. And I'm sure some of them even were thinking, is this worth it? Is this worth me still being faithful to this God who has spoken 700 years ago, and now over the last 400 years, I have not even heard from him through any prophet or spoken revelation. And it had to have been tough. They had to have gotten tired. In fact, I'm sure they felt like, are we being punished for our father's sins, for our grandfather's sins, for our grandfather's 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 sins, as we are waiting and I'm sure some of them were saying, should I even continue to be faithful? Should I continue to, to go to the temple, to pay my offerings, and to give the sacrifice? Should I be faithful to continue to pray and to do what's right? Should I really Do we really have to be faithful to continue to follow the law that's put upon us when we're not seeing any benefits? That had to have been some of their mindsets as they came to all those years. And you have to ask, how'd they do it? How did they wait that long? How did they wait those 700 years after Isaiah gave this promise, and then another 400 years through God's silence? Perhaps you're here today, and you're feeling some of the same anticipation. You're feeling some of that same anxiety. As we sat here in the worship center, 40 seconds. Kind of like, whoa, that's a long, time. Maybe you've been dealing with something for four days, four weeks. Maybe it's been four years. Maybe it's been 14 years. I don't know. But you're at that place, much like maybe the Israelites were, and you're asking that question, should I still be faithful to this God? Should I still do what's right? Should I still honor him with my life, my body, with my time? Do I, is, is this still what I should be doing? Maybe you're, you're feeling that kind of angst in your relationship with him right now because you don't feel like you've heard from him. We have to ask the question, how did the Israelites do it? Let me share with you. I believe that they had to have. Remembered, reread, memorized, and taken to heart what Isaiah told them after he told him these words. And let me show you where he says it. If you have your Bibles, go to Isaiah chapter 40. In Isaiah chapter 40, we see God speaking through his servant Isaiah directly to the Israelites. And here's what he's saying. Verse 1, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Now, why did he start off by saying comfort them? Because they needed comfort. In fact, he says it twice. It's a double imperative. It adds emphasis. Comfort, comfort them. Go to verse 3. In other words, when it looks like God isn't active and you are waiting and waiting and waiting, it's okay. Because God is still active behind the scenes. See, the Israelites do exactly what we do here today. They become so focused on their issues. They become so focused on their problems that they begin to think, Okay, God, you're just not cutting it now. I'm not sure. I'm tired. I'm tired of waiting. Maybe I'll just leave. And then God enters the scene and he speaks again with what Isaiah had said. And again, they had to have remembered it. They had to have even memorized some of it. And God says, hold on just a second. Do you remember who I am? Do you remember who you're dealing with here? Go to verse 12, chapter 40, verse 12. He says, who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens with a span? Who is it who has done that? Verse 13, who has measured the spirit of the Lord? Or what man shows him counsel? What man speaks wisdom into God? Says, whom did he consult? And who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice? And taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? He's beginning to say here to the Israelites, remember remember who you're dealing with here. I mean, if you ever come to a time when you're in prayer and, and maybe you're trying to enlighten God as to your situation, right? And, and, and you don't only come with like your prayer concern, but you come with your answer. God, here's also how you can solve this for me, right? And, and God just kind of steps back and says, whoa, hold on a second. I love to hear from my people, yes, but remember who I am. Remember what I have done. Remember, I am bigger than that complication that you're having at your work. Remember, I am bigger than those finals that you are going through and you're studying for and you're trying to get them right. Remember, I am bigger than that situation you're dealing with with your wife or your husband or their unfaithfulness to you <clears throat> and your, though, commitment to marriage. Remember, I am bigger than that housing issue that you are facing right now. I'm bigger than that family problem that you are going through with your mom or your dad or with your children or with your relatives or with your parents. Remember, I'm bigger than that health concern that you are going through going through. Who's the one who set this all into motion? I am. Verse 15 says, behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket. As big as this world is, it's just a drop in a bucket. And are accounted as the dust on the scales. Behold, he takes up the coastlands like fine dust." Verse 17, all the nations are as nothing before him. They are accounted by him as less than nothing and emptiness. He, he looks big picture here. He says, okay, be, before you choose to abandon God over your set of circumstances right now, hold on just a second. Skip to verse 25. It says, to whom then will you compare me? That I should be like him, says the Holy One. He says, lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. And don't just look at the earth. Don't just even look at the mountains. Look up at the skies. Look up at the stars. Who created all this? He goes on to say, Who brings out their host by numbers? That's the word, the host is the word for stars that we have. Who brings out the stars by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. God says, okay, I I know that maybe you're you're getting ready to kind of throw it in. I, I know you're getting ready to kind of give up maybe some of your morals or your values. Or maybe you're even looking, I'll just cheat on this final. It's no big deal. I know you're looking at maybe leaving your marriage or lowering your standards or not being honest at work because it seems like the honest ones don't get ahead. And it seems like the dishonest ones are all doing that. I know you're discouraged. But when you are... At nighttime, go out and look up at the stars and realize I have put every one of those in place and I know the names of every one of those stars. He's saying, who's done all that? Verse 28. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. Now, he sets all this up for the people, and then look at the promise. Here's the promise that's in play in verse 29. It says, he gives power to the faint, to him who has no might, he increases strength. He says, okay, see, see, when you are weary, when you are tired, when you are facing it, that's the time to look to me for the strength. That's the time to get your strength in me. And what does it look like when we ask him for that? I mean, does he just kind of shove us aside? Does he just kind of flick us away and say, don't bother? Absolutely not. He's the one then who gives us that strength. Verse 30, it says, even youth shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who, what's the word there? They who what? They who wait. Some versions, NIV, I think says, has hope. Those, those who wait. That word here is a Hebrew word. That's pronounced ha-hava which is a word that describes kind of a a word picture of a robber waiting on the side of a road for someone to pass by. And as that robber is waiting, they wait in eager and participatory, kind of an active waiting that something is about to happen. And they're waiting for it. They're ready for it. And God says... If you maintain that type of waiting, if you maintain that type of hope, then you will find strength in what you need. Let me go on finish it. It says, but they who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint." See, God is saying, you can still trust me. Even when you don't see evidence that I am working. Regardless of what you see, regardless of what you hear, regardless of what you feel, you can still trust me because I am still involved. I am still working. See, this is where it really comes down to. When, um, When we look at the second hand and the minute hand, God is looking at, at like, the, like, the calendar. We, we look at the hour hand. Man, that hour is taken a long time. We look at the hour hand. God is looking at the month. When we look at days, God's looking at decades. He's saying, I got this. I, I'm still here. And I'll show you how the Israelites responded to this. I'll show you. Did they stick it out? Were they still waiting? Yes, they were. In fact, flip back over to Luke chapter 2. Most of the time in Luke chapter 2, we see the Christmas story. And it is in there. It's there with um, Quirinius and the shepherds and the angels and the baby Jesus and the manger and all that type of thing. But go right beyond that. And in the story, right afterwards, we see that there's a man by the name of Simeon who has been waiting. And he's still been waiting faithfully. Uh, Pick up the story in Luke chapter 2, verse 25. It says, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. Now, what does that mean? Consolation. Consoling them. The comfort. Remember back in Isaiah 40 where it says, comfort, comfort, the Lord says, my people... Here's Simeon, who is waiting for that consolation to come about. And he's waiting for this Messiah to come onto the scene. It says he's waiting, and, and waiting for that consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. Verse 26 says, And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Christ. The Lord's Christ, the the Messiah. And here now, as Mary and Joseph show up 40 days later, because Mary had to wait for her purification, 40 days after he's born, Simeon comes on and says, that's him. That's the Savior. That's the Messiah that my people have been waiting over 700 years for. That God has not spoken to us for some 400 years. And now today I see Him. See, the Advent that we celebrate... Is the Advent that we um, remember, the four weeks leading up to Christmas time. Some of you might do this at your tables. You might have some Advent candles and such. The first week is hope, and then there's peace, and then there's joy, and then there's love. Uh, and, And we do that remembering and anticipating the coming of Jesus, just like the Israelites were preparing for his coming. But really now in 2016, we are waiting for the second coming. We, we now live in between the advents. See, Simeon here, um, there's a Latin word for what he does. It's called the nuke didimus, and it means now dismiss in English. Now dismiss. It's, it's kind of a time word that says now you know, we can go, now we can eat, now we can start. He's saying now the moment has come. And we see the hinge has now turned on this gate in Bethlehem. The gate is now open. The author of life has turned the page, and now there is a brand new chapter. And that chapter is in play. And Simeon didn't know the name of that chapter, but we know it now. You know what the Bible calls it? It calls it the last days. The last days have now come to us. In fact, on your outline, on the back page, you'll see it in the box. The different mentions of these last days. It says in Paul, cha- uh, excuse me, Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, it says, In the last days there will be come times of difficulty. Any difficulty here in 2016? Yep, we're, we're in some of those last days. It says in 2 Peter chapter 3, scoffers will come. In the last days. And then this one really reveals it. Hebrews 1 says, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his what? By his son. When Jesus came, biblically, we are now in the last days. And and, and we're, we're in that time between the advents. That's when we live now. And that second advent will include a sudden, personal, visible bodily return of Jesus to this earth. How do I know that? Because of what he said. John chapter 14 says, I will come again, and I will take you to myself. And then this great verse out of Hebrews 9, where it says, so Christ will appear, what's it say there, a what? A second time. See, the, the scripture writers knew. He had already appeared once. The next time he appears will be the end time. And it says he'll appear a second time, not to deal with sin. We talked about that last week. If you were here out of Matthew chapter 1, verse, I think it was 20, this time it won't be for sin. That was the first time he appeared. The second time, though, will be to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Uh, Okay, did you pick up that word there again? Eagerly what? Eagerly what? Uh, ahava. That ahava, that, 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 that eagerly waiting, like a robber ready to pounce, saying, God, when are you coming? When are you coming for us? When are you coming for us? And so, mark this down. As he came, Christ will come, but he won't come as he came the first time. No, it, it'll be different. The first time he came, he came quietly into Bethlehem. But the second time he comes, it says in John chapter 5, he will return with a shout. And in Bethlehem, that little baby, he slept, that newborn baby. But when he comes again in 1 Thessalonians 4, it says he will come with a trumpet call. And at the first time, very few noticed. But when he comes again, all the nations, it says out of Matthew 25, all the nations will be gathered before him and they will know. When this king came the first time, he was gathered and put into a manger. But when he comes the second time, he will be sitting on his throne. And then what's going to happen? Then, this is what we've all been waiting for. Then, God's promise will be fulfilled. Because as it says in 2 Peter chapter 3, there will be a new heaven and there will be a new earth where justice reigns. And the Lord will reign forever and forever and forever. See, God's on a timeline. It's just not our timeline. Right? Things that happen. And in history. It's not just this kind of these these morphing things and these circles that come about. And, well, we'll wonder and see what's happening. No, God's working it through. We just don't know exactly what that looks like and what his timeline is. It all is fitting together, and we can look to Scripture, and we can look at things going on in the world, and we can put some of the pieces together, but let me say it this way. We celebrate the first Advent at Christmas just to wet our appetite for the second Advent that is coming. Amen? In fact, when you sing Joy to the World this Christmas season, remember, that song was not written about the first coming of Christ. That song was written for the second coming of Christ. And He will reign forever and ever. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. That that song is for the second advent. There's a man by the name of... um, Bud Wood, who is the founder of uh, one of the country's best homes for the mentally handicapped or mentally challenged people. Um, uh, it's a Christian home, and so they call it uh, the shepherd's home. And uh, there they care for a lot of adults and a lot of children who have Down syndrome. And the staff and the residents have taken a lot of time to pray for these uh, people who they care for. Um, And they've also taken a lot of time to read them the Christmas story, to read them the gospel story, to read them the Bible. And many of the people are now Christians. They have Bibles, they read their Bibles, and and it's kind of a a simple childlike faith that they have in this shepherd's home. Um, And one day, Bud was given a tour to some friends, and he happened to remark that the biggest maintenance problem that they have are smudged-up windows. And the friend kind of scratched his head and said, smudge windows? What does that mean? Bud, uh, he kind of smiled, and he said, well, anytime you walk through the shepherd's home with these kind of uh, mentally challenged people that are here, any hour of the day... You can pass some of the children, and their hands and their noses and their faces will be pressed up against the window panes. The man said, why is that? And Bud said, it's because they're watching for Jesus. They know he's coming back. They've heard, they've read the story. We've told them that he's coming back, and they sit waiting for that to come. That's the second advent. That's when he's going to come again. And I throw that challenge out to you, that we should be just like those innocent, simple-faith children and adults. To say, God, I, I want my life to reflect you coming back tomorrow. Because we know, we know from Scripture, it says, in the last days, The end is near. In fact, let me say it in a little more positive and affirming way. The beginning is near, isn't it? Because when the end on earth happens here, that's when the beginning of time really begins. And goes on and on and on and on and on. And so let me kind of focus you on just two questions before I end my talk. And these two questions, if you ask them and answer them honestly, um, will affect the rest of your life. Let me ask them this way. If you knew Jesus was returning tomorrow, how would you feel today? Think about that. How, how, what, what kind of feelings? Would you be anxious? Would you be afraid? Would you be uh, unprepared? If, if those are the first responses that come to mind, then I have to say, you probably don't have a faith in Jesus Christ that you have an assurance of where you're going. But if you knew he was coming tomorrow, if your feelings are are happy and relieved and excited, then you probably have that faith to know exactly where your life is going. Ask yourself that question. If you knew he was coming, if you knew he was returning tomorrow, how would you feel? Let me ask you a second question. If you knew he was returning tomorrow, what would you do today? What would you do? And whatever that answer is, start doing it now. In fact, what I would hope is that you would be living in such a way that you wouldn't even have to change how you live for the rest of your life, that we would be living in anticipation that it could happen tomorrow. So let's make the most of today. We live between the advents. We live in those last days. And the Israelites, they waited. And they waited, they waited 700 years, 400 of them in silence. Do you know how much we've been waiting, how long we've been waiting? Almost 2,000 years. You don't think the time is coming? It's closer than it was when we began this message. Now it was like 400 years ago for some of you, right? It's close. It's coming. The beginning is near. Live like it would happen tomorrow. Let's pray. God, I thank you for the anticipation that we can live in. Even though it may be a little unsettling at times, God, we know you are active. We know you are alive. We know, we know, we trust in great faith. Great faith that you're coming again for us. And so, Lord, we seek that comfort. We seek it even as Isaiah spoke to the Israelites. And we live in the midst of that, of how big and how grand you are. And knowing, knowing that even youths grow tired and weak, but those who wait upon the Lord, those who hope in you, will always, always have their, their, their strength renewed. They will mount up on wings like eagles they will run and not go weary they'll walk and not faint lord we we live in that we want to live in that eager anticipation that tomorrow could be the day folks if you answer that question honestly if i said what if it happened tomorrow and your heart raced or you 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 dreaded it or maybe you just feel like you know there's business to be done i'd encourage you to do that do it today. Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's someone who doesn't know the Lord as you do. Maybe, though, you realize today you don't have a peace about that. You realize you've always heard that this Jesus came and you can accept him at some point in time, but what if it happened and you hadn't? My challenge to you today would be to take that step. To pray in faith, even you can pray the words right now within your heart, Lord Jesus, today I accept you as Lord and Savior. Today I ask for forgiveness of my sins. Today, today I want to have my life prepared. And so today I choose to follow you. You know, if you just pray that simple prayer, after our service is over, I'd encourage you to come talk to me, to talk to one of our choir members here, maybe even the friend who brought you. We loved it tell you more about what that simple prayer means, because now it changes everything. You can live differently, because now you can eagerly anticipate the second coming. Lord Jesus, thank you for your incredible truth. Thank you for your son that was given to us. And we thank you that you will reign forever and forever and forevermore. We sing and we celebrate that now. We live in that anticipation for it's in the name of Jesus we pray.